0: 6. To first,
1: the hey guys, welcome to another episode of the 643 Podcast with yours truly, Dylan Short, as you can hear on Six Eighty the Fan. Uh, a little bit later tonight, we'll get a, an abbreviated, a slightly abbreviated issue of 643 Weeknights. You can always find us at thepodcastpark.com, along with the other favorite hosts from Six Eighty the Fan, but you don't really care about them, you care about me! That's to be the way it is. It's always me all the time. Make sure you tell your other hosts, your second favorite, your third favorite. Tell them that you love them, but just not quite as much as me. All right. Getting into it, the Braves are able to take game one last night, which was awesome to see. Braves got off to an early start, scoring two in the first. Looked early on like it was going to be uh, a rush to the bat rack. Everybody trying to get to the plate as quickly as possible. As the first three in this lineup, Ronald and Olson and Riley... Uh, They all hit balls over 100 miles an hour off of Ryan Weathers to start. Ryan Weathers being a lefty, uh, kind of assumed right out the gate, yeah, Braves are going to have a pretty good day. And early on, it looked like it. Um, That ended up being the entirety of the offense, or at least the entirety of the scoring throughout the game. Now, yeah, there was a little bit of um, a wider zone, we'll say, with the umpire. That's certainly true. Uh, But Ryan Weathers, I'll give him credit. He really settled in. Uh, He did a good job. But it just kind of goes to show, what this brave team can do. And I, I talk about this a lot. They can win any style of game, but to, to grab two in the first inning and then just hold serve throughout the rest of the game. That's really impressive. Uh, and, and of course, with Max Fried being back on the mound, that was the main story yesterday, but Ro- I do want to give Ronald a lot of shout outs, Ronald, who has been just so good this year. Uh, he is actually right now, the most valuable position player in all of baseball, according to F war. I think you could probably go ahead and say he's probably the most valuable player, period. Um, I haven't even looked at Shohei's numbers yet. Shohei might be slightly ahead, but you have to combine pitching and position. Which, now, is Shohei the best player in baseball? Yes. Uh, But right now, for for today, on uh, April 18th, right now Ronald Acuna is the absolute most valuable player position-wise in all of Major League Baseball. And another fun note, he actually got his defensive value up into the positives last night. Now, this has kind of been a gripe of mine lately. I don't really think that the defensive metrics properly capture players' defensive values. I think it's a little bit more malleable. And I don't think, like I I said this yesterday on the show, where I can look at the offensive numbers and I can see, you know, I can see somebody who, yeah, he may be hitting 220, but he's got a, a 370 OBP. He's, you know, Got an ISO up over 220. He's driving in a lot of runs. I can see the value in that. I can see how that's still a very valuable player. And Joey Gallo is kind of the go-to example. You can see that, that offensively, they're providing a lot of value. So even if the surface line number, the, the batting average, we'll say, doesn't indicate that, you can still see that, yes, you can be a very good offensive player, just by making the most, by going for quality over quantity. And some players are able to do that, whereas others are quantity over quality. And that's okay, too. There are plenty of valuable players who do that. The, the best players find the balance between the two. When you look defensively, though, you don't really have that clear-cut evidence. And the one I always go to is the fact that Austin Riley is ranked, like, one spot above Alec Bohm. And anybody that's watched the two of them play third base knows definitively that Austin Riley is a far better defensive third baseman than Alec Bohm. <clears throat> this holds true for shortstop a lot as well. Like Orlando Arcia was raked like the 13th in 13th percentile and outs above average. You could watch him and know that that's not true. You could watch him and know that he was doing better than that. Now, I know for at least the early part of 2023, they're using the back into 2022 numbers, which is why Ronald is grading out so horribly defensively on StatCast. To me, that's just stupid, and it means I'm not going to look at your defensive metrics. Generally speaking, anyway, defense is a lot more malleable than offense. Uh, you don't have as many opportunities defensively as you do offensively. Uh, down years occur, just any number of little things, and you can't control the types of balls that are hit to you. Whereas offensively, you have much more control over your outcome. So when you're grading when you're grading statistics, you're grading metrics, just know offensive metrics will always be more reliable than defensive metrics and at least for now defensive metrics i kind of think and this is going to sound weird but i think they weirdly rate range a little too highly in the same way that like catcher war ranks framing a little too highly and that's not to say that you don't want an elite framer just like you don't it's not to say that you don't want any elite rangy shortstop but what i mean by that is I want a guy who can make the play that he can get to more than a guy that's going to be able to get to the ball but not necessarily make the play. Again, just like with offense, the key is the balance between the two. Like, I, I love, one of the reasons Angelton Simmons, to me, is the best defensive shortstop ever is because he could get to every ball and he made the play on every ball. There have been plenty of shortstops that have crazy range but can't <coughs> – Excuse me. There have been plenty of shortstops that have had a lot of range, but aren't particularly good at making the play once they get there. Tim Anderson is a good example of this. Tim Anderson is very athletic. He has a lot of range. He's not a good defensive shortstop, though, because he can't really make... Too many times he doesn't make the play once he gets there. Now, whether it's because of arm accuracy or whatever, I'd have to really dig into Tim Anderson to, to really detail what it is that's his issue. But that's why I don't really buy when they say Orlando Arcee is a poor shortstop. It's why also I don't look at arm strength metrics for infielders because that's kind of stupid. You don't unless you're you know unless you're O'Neill Cruz or Mason Wynn, you're not looking to throw 100 miles an hour just to show you can throw 100 miles an hour. It's just not really how you do it. So all of that to say, I'm much more interested in what you do offensively as far as the metrics are concerned and. While Ronald's defensive numbers might not read as if they're really good, we all can see what he's done this year, and he clearly looks back to what Ronald is supposed to look like defensively. He's running around. He's making great plays. Obviously, the arm is is top notch. And that holds true for Austin Riley. It was holding true for Orlando Arcia as well, who I thought was playing a a really, really good defensive shortstop. Uh, Ozzy's been kind of grading out negatively defensively, at least thus far. But I think that'll probably change. We all know Ozzy's an elite defender. And that's just another strength of this Braves team. Now, I know there's a lot of them that, there's a few of them that'll be ranked negatively in terms of the metrics. But if you just look at the group and you watch them play, I don't think defense is a problem. Now Vaughn's defense at short has gotten better over the past few games. Outside of that first game in Kansas City, where it was clear to anybody watching that he was as anxious as possible, he was nervous as all get out. Clearly, clearly, he was uh, he, he was he was stressing it a little bit. But he looks like he's kind of settled in a little bit. Uh, Don't know that he's going to be making outstanding plays, but certainly looks like he can make some decent ones and and at least hold down the fort there. It's really offensively with Vaughn for me. He just seems like such a perfect fit for the nine hole. And I I don't know what they're going to do once they get Travis and uh, Michael and Orlando back. That's where things kind of get a little bit tricky. Because I know Chernoff and a couple of other people have said just give him an outfielder's glove, speaking of Vaughn, just give him an outfielder's glove and throw him out there once Orlando's back. And I know left field is a much easier position. You're not really relied upon defensively to kind of do the job. It's really more about what you bring with the bat. But I I don't know necessarily that that's something that Alex is going to want to do. I mean, anything's possible. If they really just want his bat in the lineup, then they'll do that. But... Once the Braves get back to full strength, now you start talking about who are those at bats gonna come at the cost of. Because you can't have you know, you, you can't have Travis in the lineup if it's gonna be Vaughn at DH. So if, if you wanna have Travis and Murphy in the lineup at the same time, which I do, then Vaughn has to play left field or second or short or wherever. And while, you know, the, the this is something that has to get through the thick skulls of people at times. I love the idea of having a super utility piece, a guy that plays multiple positions and plays three days a week. So he can give um, maybe it's Aussie, maybe it's Orlando, maybe it's a DH, maybe it's a left field and, and give somebody a night off. I love the idea of that. I, I think that that's a very smart strategy, but it's not something the Braves are going to do. It's just not something that Brian Snicker likes to do. And Alex, isn't going to take the reins from Snicker on that. He's going to let Brian do what he thinks is most comfortable. And, Quite frankly, the Braves have been such a good team under Brian Snicker's tenure, you, you kind of give him that leeway. And even if that's something that you wish that he would improve upon, like I do, it's not going to happen. So it's almost not worth
0: $5 minimum balance required
2: hey sandwich lovers today's your lucky day there's a whole new way to roll for lunch or dinner delight with nucky's hoagies in the roswell Corners shopping center now open nucky's hoagies in roswell is family owned and operated by the subsisters stacy and shannon whose love language is food and nucky's hoagies their passion when you bite into a nucky's hoagie you'll taste the difference the softest hoagie rolls ever along with hunger quenching sandwich combinations Make Necky's Hogies and Roswell on Woodstock Road your new favorite spot for lunch or dinner.
1: Worth even considering. Now, I like Vaughn in the nine hole because I think he's got such a great element of being able... It's, it's like Xander in a way, and it's one of the big reasons why I tend to compare Vaughn and Xander and why I think at least... I, I think they're very similar players. They're both big shortstops. They're not great defensive shortstops. Xander was great last year. Don't be fooled. A lot of that was based on the Ability to shift around and things like that. Um, otherwise, I don't think Xander's going to grade out as an exceptionally great defensive shortstop, but he is a guy that hits really well, primarily because he knows how to control the barrel well. And he's what I would, um, what I and the guys at Just Baseball Media and a few other people would term as, as a contact merchant somebody that's able to work the barrel a bit. And he's able to go out there and get base hits on balls that aren't really hit particularly hard. If you look at Bogarts he's not a guy that generally is going to lead the league in exit velocities or anything like that that's not really his game. It's nice to get those but if you look at Xander this year his he's 28th percentile in terms of his average exit velocity, 67th in terms of his max velocity. So yeah, I mean he can he can barrel him up when he needs to but he's averaging 874 off the bat. This to go along with, it, it, you would have to go actually go all the way back to 2019 to find a season in which he averaged 90 miles an hour. 21, it was at 89.6, but that was the highest it had been since 19. And his max his max uh, velo this year has been 109. That's a little bit down from normal, but typically his max will cap out around 112, 113, which is perfectly fine. He does a, a great job, and that's something that I kind of think Vaughn can do. It's, that's what I've noticed just watching Vaughn swing He's got really good barrel control. He's got a great eye at the plate. He knows what he can do with what pitch. And that's another reason I like him being down low. He's got enough speed to where I think he can be a great benefit on the base paths in front of Ronald. Now, is he going to steal 30 bags? No, but I'm also not worried about him batting ninth because he's not a guy that I'm that worried about losing a ton of at bats for like in this lineup. I don't want to lose at bats for, you know, Ronald or Olsen or Riley or Harris uh, or any or Murphy or whoever. I don't want to lose their at bats. I want them to get as many at bats as possible. A guy like Vaughn, while I love having him at the plate and he can do a lot of good things, you know, I think he's going to routinely run really high OBPs. He's not a guy with everybody else on this lineup that I'm that worried about making sure gets the most possible at bats. And I think that that's a real strength of this Braves team. The question is just going to be what they do. If they want to move him to left field, one, I kind of question the profile. Not because I don't think that he would be fine as a left fielder. I think he's athletic enough to where you give him enough time to learn it, he'll be fine there. Uh, but because his bat is not typically one that you think of for a left fielder. Now I know, neither is really Eddie Rosario's. Neither has been Marcelo Zuna's for the past two years and change. Neither is really Sam Hilliard's or Eli White's. I, I get all that, I do. But I'm not sure if Alex wants to kind of pitch and hole a left fielder that's not exactly a bopper or not exactly a a middle-of-the-lineup type of guy. Now, the Braves can get away with it because they have power from non-traditional power spots in the lineup, namely second base with Ozzy. That allows them, and a catcher, quite frankly, it allows them to kind of piece together a little bit more in the outfield. But I just, I don't necessarily think that Alex is looking to do something like that. Could he? Sure. Alex can do a lot of different things. Alex is, uh, you can't really figure out exactly what Alex is going to do until after he's done it. Cause nobody's going to find out. Uh, but I, I just kind of wonder if that's what they're going to do. And if they're not going to put him in left field, I don't know if they would have him stay up here to DH, at least not if Travis Darno comes back and is swinging the bat. Now, Travis is a little bit different in that he's not going to walk, but Travis is going to impact the baseball a little bit more. And I feel like, I mean, Travis has been such an integral part of this team. Travis is going to play a lot. I'm just not sure what Vaughn's role is going to be this year if he's not starting at shortstop. And I think based on what he was doing before he went down, Orlando's going to come back and get a shot. The question for Orlando is going to be, does the wrist linger, and is he still going to be as hot as he was when he went on the I.L.? If he is, then I'm, I'm not sure what you do with Vaughn. I almost wouldn't be surprised if Vaughn is used to bring in a left fielder that's got a little bit of control, but somebody who's much more reliable than what you're running out currently. Now, maybe Alex is perfectly fine with the left field platoon. Uh, Eddie's hitting the ball hard enough to where I think at some point he'll, he'll kind of get some stuff figured out here, uh, and he'll, he'll start getting a little bit of luck to fall his way. But I have no faith in Ozuna. I love what Sam Hilliard's done in the meantime. Now, his numbers aren't going to last. Uh, his his underlying numbers point to gigantic regression incoming. But until that regression hits, and we can kind of see what his baseline will actually be, I think he's earned a lot of reps in left field, which also means now you're talking about platooning Eddie Rosario at DH. Uh, Eli White has been a, he's a really, really good defender. Offensively, he hasn't had the start that I was hoping he would have. But last night, he he did pretty well. Uh, took a walk, got hit by a pitch, and and put some decent swings on the ball. He's also such an elite defender that if I'm not going to get anything out of Ozuna, and I'm not getting anything out of Rosario right now, then just go ahead and give me the defensive platoon. Now, obviously, the main story of last night is not just that Ronald continues looking like an MVP, and of the Braves' seven hits, Ronald had three of them and scored a run, and in the top of the first, when Riley hit that two-run homer, that ended up being all the scoring, it was Max Freed. Max coming off after missing two starts, uh, and, and looked completely refreshed. His velo was all the way up to 98 last night. and that That's when you know Max is really feeling it. Uh, I know the line says he had four hits against him. Three of those hits were below 90 miles an hour. Just dinky dunk, unlucky type of hits for Max. But he fielded the position. He was able to move around well. He kind of did something a little bit different with his curve, where it was a little bit more of a, a sharper break. And, and maybe sharper is not the right word to describe it. Uh, when Max has been throwing his curveball what you see is that you almost see a little bit of a float and then a sudden sharp vertical drop the curves he was throwing yesterday was, was more of a drop all the way throughout you didn't have that kind of rise stop and sharply drop type of motion and it worked out beautifully he got a ton of calls early in the counts on that curve he also used his changeup a lot yesterday which I love to see I think that's if Max wants to use his changeup, you know, thirteen percent of the time this year, I'm here for it. Max has a fantastic changeup. Max just has a fantastic feel for spin. Period. Um, but he went five innings yesterday, had four Ks, probably could have had a couple other ones. Uh, the four hits allowed really was only one that that was a, a good hit. But hey, that's baseball. Uh, and and Snit says he wasn't on a pitch count. I don't buy that at all. He threw seventy nine pitches, fifty five of them were strikes. All in all, a great return to the rotation. And the Braves are able to get just enough off of Ryan Weathers to where they go in and they've got, they get the win in game one. Now, with Spencer Strider going today, you feel really good. I want to see this start because I want to see what Spencer's going to do. I want to see if, like, I believe he's going to come out throwing like the Spencer of last year, where he's not really worried about pacing himself. He's just going to go out there and just let it rip. I think that's the best thing for Spencer to do. And if he paces himself, could he be a seven-inning guy, getting the eighth inning on some guys? Yeah, I believe so. I think even working 96-97, he's good enough to be able to go deep in the games. But what sets him apart from everybody else is that it's, it's not the 96-97. It's when he's pumping 98-100. to 100. That fastball has so much more life when he's throwing it hard. And I also think the command for him suffers when he's taking some off. Now, I know some pitchers, you know, you always hear the adage of if you're not able to control your high velo, tone it down a little bit. This is why Sean Newcomb went from throwing 98, 99 to throwing 92. I just don't think that's the case because too many times you start, you know, you, you, you intentionally, you approach an at-bat thinking, okay, I'm going to take a little bit off here, and I'm just going to try to throw strikes. But what it does is it slows down the rest of your mechanics. And if your body's not in sync, especially a guy like Spencer, whose lower body is so important in his delivery and who it's all timed together so mechanically and so technically, you slow down any part of that and all of a sudden something's out of whack and you're actually more apt to throw balls and get into deeper pitch counts than you would be if you were just letting it rip. And if Spencer's letting it rip, maybe he's not a 7-8, eight, eight inning guy. Maybe he's a 6-inning guy. I, I don't care, though. It'll be the best 6 innings that you get of any pitcher starting in baseball that day. When he's letting it rip, the only person that's as good as him or better is DeGrom. And that's that's not me being a homer. That that's just when you look at their numbers. There's like, a reason he broke Randy Johnson's record for the fastest the fastest pitcher to 200 strikeouts. I mean, it's it's because the stuff is just so dirty and the movement is fantastic on it. I'd love for him to use his changeup a little bit more. Like that I'd rather him do that, honestly. And instead of trying to pace the fastball to go deeper in the games, I'd rather him be a little bit more devoted to using the changeup against lefties. It gets a ton of swing and miss, but it's also a pitch that if they do hit it because they're geared up for 98-99, that it's going to get a lot of soft contact. And that can be a way for Spencer in between the strikeouts, which rack up the pitch count, in between the strikeouts, being able to to get soft contact on that changeup can allow him to go deeper in games without really affecting the, the true outcome of his stuff. Now, for the Padres, it's going to be Blake Snell, so you kind of got to wonder which Blake Snell you're going to get. You can either get perfect game Blake Snell, or you can get Blake Snell, who's gone in four or five innings. Um, I think the real story here for the Braves is the bullpen continues to dominate, and last night was not an easy test. Juan Soto, who is just terrible this year for, for Juan Soto standards and you know not, not hitting the ball well at all. He's still taking all of his walks, so his OBP is still really, really high but he's not hitting the ball particularly well, especially for Juan Soto. That's still a tough lineup to navigate. When you got to go Bogarts, Soto, Machado, Cronenworth is really good. Ha-Sung Kim can be very good. Um, that's still a difficult lineup to navigate, and the bullpen, still without Ryosel we were able to do some really good things. Dylan Lee yesterday was just phenomenal. Now I think Max could have gone another inning, and since Dylan threw two innings last night, chances are he's not available tonight. But you were able to avoid using Nick Anderson and A.J. Minter in the same game, which means if you have another really close game at the back half tonight, you can have Nick Anderson going, and whether it's the 8th or the ninth, whatever the case is, you can have him go. Now, I think Snit probably be okay with A.J. going back-to-back. They've really been trying to avoid using Nick Anderson in back-to-back nights. And when you've got Snell going for the pods, you feel like this is probably the game that's, that probably is going to be the toughest for you to score runs. Now, probably not going to be the case since Julie scratched across two against Weathers last night, but it does set up the Braves' bullpen for some success thanks to Jesse Chavez working a little bit of voodoo magic like he always does in a Braves' uniform, and Dylan Lee looking absolutely fantastic. The Braves are in a good position tonight, and getting that first win in Game 1, I always feel Game 1 is the most important one. If you take Game 1, all you have to do is scratch out one of the next two as opposed to the other team that now has to win two in a row. They have to approach it a little bit differently And for the Braves, I'd like to sweep this series. I'd like to keep the sweep going. I think they could, especially if what we saw from Charlie last week carries over into this game. Um, More difficult lineup to face, obviously. But if he can have the swing and miss working, I think he can have a good outing. And who knows? The Braves bats at any point in time, like you saw against Kansas City, any point in time, they can drop nine on you. So even if Charlie doesn't have his A-plus stuff, and, you know, the Braves maybe have, you know, allow four runs, five runs. Facing Nick Martinez, they should be able to score quite a bit more. The Braves offensively looked completely locked in. Now, Ozzy, I'm a little bit miffed at Ozzy because after taking such great strides in the first couple of games, I was really thinking he was about to go nuclear. Last night was a terrible night for him. Um, Swinging at everything, doing exactly the thing that got him into the rut in the first place. I'm a little annoyed at him. Hopefully it was just kind of a one-off Maybe it was just something about weather's delivery. He was messing with Ozzie, but he was swinging at literally every pitch. Uh, he did take a walk, though, which was nice. I'll give him credit for that walk. I want, I want Ozzie to take a lot more of those. Uh, if he can take more walks, then I don't really care if he's striking out. If he'll take walks and then actually, you know, pick decent pitches to actually make contact with, Ozzie will be fine. All told, I think the Braves are in a really good position. There's a reason they are where they are. I know they dropped three games to San Diego in Atlanta. I think that was more one of those just Bad bad series that they can have, like we saw against the Mets last year, where just nothing really goes right. The pitch, the starters don't go deep, the bullpen's okay, but but not stellar. The lineup's not really hitting. I think this is a good good uh, payback game here today. Uh, I think Spencer's going to come out guns blazing. I think the Braves get a good victory today. We'll we'll see going forward, uh, but for now. I do have to go ahead and cut this episode a little bit short. I'll be back on the air tonight uh, at 6, going 6 to 7.40. So if you want, you can tune in there. I'm sure we'll cover a lot of what I just did on the podcast here, including a couple of other things. But for now, I'm going to call it a day. Have a great day, everybody. Again, 9.40 start, which I hate. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with myself until 9.40. Last night, I literally sat around and did nothing. Hopefully, I'll figure out something better to do tonight. Uh, but for now, that's going to do it for us. We'll be back in on Thursday here for the podcast edition of 643.
0: Thanks everybody. Bye That's all, folks. <laughs> $5 minimum balance required.
2: Hey sandwich lovers! Today's your lucky day. There's a whole new way to roll for lunch or dinner delight with Nucky's Hoagies in the Roswell Corners Shopping Center. Now open. Nucky's Hoagies in Roswell is family owned and operated by the sub-sisters Stacey and Shannon, whose love language is food and Nucky's Hoagie's their passion. When you bite into a Nucky's hoagie, you'll taste the difference. The softest hoagie rolls ever, along with hunger-quenching sandwich combinations. Make Nucky's hoagies in Roswell on Woodstock Road your new favorite spot for lunch or dinner.